I read something from your book? Sure, sure you can. Sure, sure you can. Um, you, uh, you're, this is before you went into the school. You kind of made this decision the, the night before. And uh, you're talking about listening to a voice in your head and you're saying um, you heard a voice and the voice whispered loudly, you want real peace? Obviously, since my death was about to happen because you assumed you were going to die in this school shooting as well, the voice had an additional, more sinister purpose than speaking out of the darkness to interrupt my impending suicide. If you do it, if you do this my way, the voice continued, I'll give you real peace. We'll show them. And uh, all at once, you say the directive became clear. If I would go and kill others first and then kill myself afterwards, I'd finally be at rest. I know this sounds absolutely insane, mainly because it is. Even so, in my dark world of cowardly self-pity and loneliness, my mind was filled with evil. My ultimate goal, and indeed the voice's ultimate goal for me as well, was my own death. But in the process of destroying my own life, I would now also become the vehicle of a great and destructive deception. The lie I had brought I, I, the lie I had bought that said killing others would make killing myself even more sense. In that dark moment, I gave in to the whims of this darker voice. I made the choice to allow it to control my mind, my body, and my soul. After all, what did it matter? I was already dead anyway, which is what you were saying earlier on, that you felt that you were already dead but let's talk about this for a second. I think it's really important that we understand the why. Uh, in our society, to me, it seems that we just condemn once it happens. If you look at what we're, uh, the experience that we're having now with Nicholas Cruz, who's the Parkland shooter, uh, everyone's calling for his execution. However, no one's asking him, why did you do what you did? How did this happen? What is our role as a society in our processes? We had the FBI interview him multiple times. He was allowed to keep his weapons. What happened in his foster care homes? I mean, this is, for me, this would be a way for us to acknowledge our mistakes and be able to learn from them. But I know that takes a tremendous amount of courage and it's much easier just to condemn, uh, execute, so we don't have to think about it anymore and then move on. And uh, so in your case, um, you said that you suffered from abuse. Can you tell us just a little bit about that and what role that had to play in this? Ultimately, TJ, I'm getting at what could we have done? What did you need as a human being that you weren't getting? And, you know, not everybody that's listening to this podcast is a Christian. So, uh, you know, I, I feel like uh, love is what connects us all as human beings. And so from a, a love aspect, from a connection, a belonging aspect, how could that have been facilitated better for you? I know that so much. This is the direction of the podcast that I'd like, because I really 
you're so courageous to speak with me. And I really want us to learn from your experience. Unfortunately, we haven't. <laughs> and, uh, and it's only gotten worse. So I think we need to take a pause. And, and I think that you can really help us understand what's going on, what we can do, empower us with, with how we can help this situation. We started by saying school shootings are preventable. And we both agreed that it was 100%. You talked about what's going on in our world today and I think, in, I think in 1996, there was a study that came out that said that our kids see 8,000 killings by the time they get out of elementary school. And then I think it's like uh, 250,000 acts of violence by the time they're 18. That was in 1996 with uh, cell phones giving us 24 seven global information as well as social media. Um, we know that that's got to be increased now with our homicide rate last year increased by 30%. School shootings are now a normal, we, we expect them every week. Um, can you, with that being said, that's a lot. Can you take us back to the abuse piece and help us unravel what happened? You're right. You said there, there, unfortunately, there's lots of abuse and lots of children that are abused. And so not all of them turn into school shooters. So, so what, what happened to lead you to that point? So, um, wow. Um, my situation began with um, the whole uh, perception was suicide. And when I go speak at uh, schools and churches, uh, I let everyone know that, you know, we have 165 children a day take their life in our country. So the super pandemic of childhood suicide, oh, which has doubled in the last yes. decade and kids are killing themselves now younger and younger. This is the super pandemic. Mm -hmm. And between that and, and other, you know, military PTSD suicides, I mean, this is a real clear and present danger that's happening right now. My situation was, um, I was in a divorced home, mother remarried, stepfather situation. He was an alcoholic. Um, environment was very toxic. Um, it had, uh, it was kind of this uh, emotional roller coaster and the cycle effect where things good and things are bad. <laughs> and when, when things got bad, you knew where to run and hide kind of thing. Um, but uh, I think, again, uh, so many kids are, are in that situation with alcoholics in the house that, that see their mother being beaten and they get beaten and see their brothers get beaten and you, you just have this culture of fear because nobody will hear you. So, so, so my, my thing is listen more to these children who are hurting in the schools. Um, our schools are not, should not be the location where a child is being disciplined or um, directed 
in their spiritual life or even cultivated to become something, um, a successful individual or totally broke down. If you go to anyone that has mental issues can always go to their past and pull out pain. You see, in, in my situation, in your situation, uh, people uh, who have been hurt can help people who have been hurt, <laughs> you know, because you've been there, you've been through hell and back, basically. You've seen things that most people don't even, can't even imagine in their worst nightmare. Um, so as the abuse continues, it becomes not normal. It just becomes, cal you become callous to it. Your skin, you know, gets as thick as leather and you're, you're just um, um, caught up in the uh, process of this is just the way life is. Deal with it. Um, and then about two years before this happened in 82, they got divorced. Well, at that time, I was just this insecure. Uh, I was basically the bully. You know, anything around me, because all I saw was abuse and how to beat women. And, and so I was just beating people up. And so uh, I became uh, uh, a jealous, controlling, you know, all these different things. And I, I wrote this thesis one time about um, an individual hiring a gardener to start his garden. And over time, uh, and the neighbor had, did the same thing with a different gardener. The one neighbor, his fruit became, came up and was rot, and he had to throw it away. But the, the next door neighbor, his fruit was beautiful. Tomatoes were ripe. Everything was perfect. Well, what do we need to do? We need to change the gardener in our life. Mm. We need to put God and direct the hearts and minds and souls of children to give them some kind of perspective and vision that they do matter. Um, and these kids, yeah, we, like you said earlier, the Adam Lanza, throw them away. It's their fault. Or, or the Parkland shooter, Cruz, execute him. And then the problem's solved. No, it's not solved. Because guess what? Our culture is cultivating another Adam Lanza right now. So Many. what can we do? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so when I see a kid act out in this matter, in any situation, the schools can only do so much with the legalities of what they're allowed to do. Um, obviously, we have school boards that control that. We have governors that control the school boards. But we need to control what's happening at home first. You know what I'm saying? The red flags are in that house. If the kid has a lock on his door and the parents can't even go in, go in the kid's room, that's a red flag. Um, <clears throat> if everything on his phone is locked, it, the separation between the parent and the child, that's a huge red flag. The fact that we're not giving them foundation in a church environment to be able to support uh, spiritually, to grow spiritually as well as physically, to become an, a young man with some kind of ethics or um, uh, to give them hope in the process, to know that there's more to this life than pain, so that when they when they encounter when they encounter that pain, instead of lashing out, they know how to deal with it, how to cope with it. You know, um, but we can't. You know what look we do? 
you know what we do, TJ, at Choose Love? We literally teach kids how to cope with difficulty in their lives. We teach them coping skills. We teach them how to learn from, grow through, and be strengthened by challenges and roadblocks. We teach them emotional intelligence, how to identify, label, manage, express our emotions. We literally teach these, they're called essential life skills that we are not born with, that we have to learn. So in a situation like yours, in your home life, your parents didn't have these skills and tools. And that's because they probably didn't learn them from their parents. And they certainly didn't learn them at school. Um, so they get to be adults without them. And then they pass down this dysfunction to the next generation. And so you're learning from them how to react to pain. Um, and, and so what we're doing at the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Movement is addressing the cause of violence, substance abuse, mental illness, including suicide, depression, and anxiety, um, violence, bullying. We're addressing the cause. And, uh, and so, um, you know, this is, this is also a way to do it. Not every uh, parent or educator that's listening to this is going to have kids going to church. Um, uh, and there are many different faiths this is being listened to all over the world. So um, this is another way of introducing love uh, into a child's life and, and enabling them, giving them the essential life skills to choose this in their lives. You didn't have the skills and tools to be able to choose that thoughtful response. You were reacting to the pain that you had. And as you said, lashing out. You know, in your book, uh, you were talking about the process of how Lanza was banging on doors, let me in, uh, you know, to certain locations in your book. That happened in 82 with this person right here. And what I'm trying to say is the first 10 to 15 minutes of any school shooting is the most dangerous because the rage that walks in that school is not human, okay? And what I mean by that is um, I'm, people are gonna roll their eyes and say, here we go with the voices again. But I'm gonna tell you something. There is a, there is a spiritual aspect that, that the culture is totally wiped out until we have these shootings. They say, now our thoughts and prayers are with the family. Okay, that's great, that's awesome. But guess what? Let's do something with the thoughts and prayers before the shooting ha happened. Exactly. We, we, we lean on prayer after a, a, a catastrophe, but we were scared to say anything before because either we're going to you always follow the money. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your position. You're going to lose your friends, uh, you know, down the line like that. But let me say, that's exactly what Satan wants. He doesn't want to be in the, the process. He wants you to think that he doesn't even exist. So again, uh, we got to reach these kids before they even get to the point of wanting to take their own life so they don't want to hurt others and understand the value of, of life around them, you know, and to feel love, to feel yes. something, you know, that they, 
they've lost all hope. And here we are, you know, you could turn on the news right now and you're seeing nothing but pain, disagreements and separation, even in our schools right now. And it's, it's and that's just a with sad, adults. sad situation. That's with adults. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. And here's the right. thing. What now, what, instead of calling now we're okay. We're calling the, the Adam Lanzas and, and crews. Let's just kill them. And, and the problem goes away, but now we're calling parents terrorist. Okay. So right. how, if you're cut, if you're cutting off the child now at the feet, by by removing the parent, these children are going to grow up to be monsters. And, and uh, until you put life and love back into their life, you're not going to see a productive situation I mean, I have two children. I have five grandchildren and I have a little seven-year-old girl and I am so protective of this girl. Uh, uh, I'm so, um, it's like, I know what to look for with the troubled kids around her, mm -hmm. but I can't go to the school stand guard at the front gate of that school. I know many you parents wish they could. Yes, I do. Right. So, so parents are now making the choice i'm pulling my kids out of school it's not only what's coming in the school it's what's being taught in the schools you see we and here here is a but we don't want to get high school we don't shooter. Wanna, yeah go ahead we need to put we need to put the bible back in our schools we need to open the bible in our schools and make it a curriculum that is allowed not by force but by choice to give these kids who are totally lost, looking for answers of the when, how, and why in their life and, and give it back to Christ. We've, we tried everything else. It's time I, I hear what to you're get saying. back to Jesus. I, see, I hear what you're saying. And short of that, um, there's this incredible thing <laughs> uh, called uh, character and emotional intelligence and neuroscience and post-traumatic growth and trauma-informed education, which is what we include um, in our Choose Love curriculum, teaching kids uh, about thoughts and about how they impact how we feel and about how that in turn impacts how we show up in our relationships and how we behave and teaching them how to uh, how to control themselves. Uh, it's interesting in your book, you say um, uh, on, on the next page I, uh, from the one that I read, uh, when you came in to the school, uh, I'm going to uh, read this. The whole environment around me was instantly and completely overwhelmed by my presence. And this only emboldened me all the more. Finally, I was in control. The smell of smoke and gunpowder seeped into the fibers of clothes and seemingly into the fibers of my being. The deafening gunshots made most every other sound disappear, except that is the incessant ringing in my ears and the distant screams of women and children. They were screaming and running for their lives, but all I could think was control, power, kill. That's that voice that you're talking about in your head. And, you know, you, you call it evil, but some people would call it a result of mental illness and um, both are correct <laughs> in, yeah. in my point of view. And I just want to share that 
I believe this happened to Adam Lanza as well. Um, it's interesting that in the report and when I visited the school um, and walked through Adam's footsteps, I was told that there was a conversation that happened between Adam and a young boy. And uh, the FBI agent that shared this with me said, you know, this is what one of the teachers hiding in a bathroom right next to where Adam entered the second classroom said she heard, she was very adamant about it and specific about it. So we put it in the report. She said, I'm telling you it couldn't have happened because all the kids in that classroom anyway were hiding in the bathroom and then the other kids were in their classrooms. So she was saying to me, it couldn't have happened, but this is what the teacher heard. She heard a conversation that Adam was having with a smaller child. And the conversation went something like this. I don't wanna be here, uh, says the little boy. And then there's a response saying, well, you're here and look at them and look at you. And so, uh, I, I literally in that moment, I, I was doing, um, this, uh, visit with my Connecticut state trooper that had been assigned to my family. I asked him to walk back in the school with me. I had brought flowers from my garden, sorry, to put them where, uh, exactly in the place in the classroom where Jesse had been murdered. And then I wanted to walk through Adam Lanza's footsteps. I wanted to see for myself before we tore the school down. <laughs> and um, I, I just literally almost collapsed into my state trooper's arms and uh, couldn't speak. But I knew that that conversation was real because Jesse had drawn a picture of it before he died. And it was in his uh, box of, of papers that they had taken out of his desk. And it's actually called a precognitive drawing. And there's science behind precognitive drawings that are when kids draw how they are going to die in explicit detail. And there's no other way to explain this. Um, this was studied first by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and I had a few precognitive drawings done by Jesse, but this one, and I'll share it with you. Um, this one was <sighs> incredible. And actually, do you mind if I share it with you right now? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Um, here it is. Can you see that? I sure can. I sure can. So this came wow. home in a box of Jesse's personal belongings. They took it out of his desk, kept it in the chronological order that it was in. This is a drawing that Jesse had done a few days before he died. And we call it the angel and the bad man. So you see the angel to the left. He's mm -hmm. actually in the shape of a 14, which is pretty incredible because Jesse died on the 14th in the shape of a bullet with angel wings. He's got a little smile on his face, believe it or not. And then you've got this taller figure in front of him and the head is in the shape of a square and it's all, you can tell that it looks angry in the pencil mark, just kind of uh, all colored in. But then, oops, let's see if I can do this here. Um, 
if you blow up the head of the shooter here, let's see if you can see this. You've got, I'm gonna use my pointer. Can you see my pointer here? I can, yeah. Okay, you've got this, this figure that emerges in the back of the head. It's got mm. a black mm. cloak. There's even two black blunted wings. There's a hand mm. here holding a gun and a face with a ball cap. See the ball cap there? Face mm -hmm. is looking over at Jesse. This is the phallic symbol screwing down into the head. And then in wow. front of this figure, you see this lighter figure here. So there's a there's a face here. It's got a halo. You've got almost like a biblical gown. You've got an arm coming down here. You've got an arm held out to the side. Can you see that? I can. That's that is just amazing. Is that, that amazing? Your son, your son could see that from his perspective of whether it was internal or physical. He experienced something. I, I feel it, that I, I'm speechless. I mean, that is just amazing. I mean, wow. So when I read wow. that in your book about this voice inside your head telling you to do something, and uh, I, I knew that I had a picture of that when the FBI agent was telling me about a conversation that Adam had with a little boy, I knew I had a picture of it right here. And I'm so excited I get to show you that because this is there's this is a field of science. It's called precognitive drawing where kids draw how they're gonna die. This is exactly how Jesse died facing the shooter. He was the only one facing the shooter. And, uh, and for him to have this representation of literally what was going on in Adam Lanza's head at that time was incredible. That is incredible. That is, I mean, it just makes me, and you know, I think if we listen to our kids more, we can learn a whole lot. We really can learn a lot from our own kids because they have a, an innocent heart. Even Christ said, if you don't come to him as a child, you, <laughs> he doesn't want anything to do with you. You got to have the heart of a child to understand truly what your son is drawing here of what he saw. And I'm just, oh, that's, that's amazing. It's amazing. I've shared them a few times with audiences and I talk about them as the thoughts in Adam Lanza's head at the time. And there's the, the you know, thought that we all have, we all have the negative, the angry, the, these, uh, these rageful thoughts, all of us do. And then there's the um, kind, uh, loving, caring, compassionate, connected thoughts. And you know, in my mind, unless we have coping skills, unless we have uh, essential life skills that, and we're taught how to make the choice. And, and by the way, the, given the awareness that there even is a choice, <laughs> how do you know how to choose love from ultimately what is fear and hatred and anger? Um, but I wanted you to know that this so resonated with me when you said that, because I thought, wow, that's the same thing that happened to Adam Lanza. He had that thought in his head and it became a conversation and someone heard it and Jesse drew it. So it, it definitely happened. 
Um, and it doesn't have to get to that point. Um, to the point, you said it all started with suicide earlier on. And when you get to the point of thinking about killing yourself and then you feel like you're already dead, so who cares? Everybody should go with you. And you want to off put your pain on as many people as possible. Um, you, it's safe to say that you are feeling hopeless. There's no hope. Uh, there's no hope of redemption. You use the word redemption in the byline for your book, which I thought was really interesting. I love, I love words. And so you use that word and I looked it up and the definition has two um, definitions. Uh, one is the action of being saved from sin, error, or evil. And then the second one was the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. Um, that seems perfect. Um, but at the time that you did this, you were hopeless. And uh, Molly Hudgens, who is a school counselor and wrote a book called Saving Sycamore, where she literally, she had a, a child that came into her her office as a counselor with a gun, with the intention of committing a mass murder in his school. Um, and she, uh, she prevented that. Um, and she was giving a talk that I heard and she said, there is one word that can prevent all school shootings. And I was on the edge of my seat. She said they're 100% preventable. I've never heard anyone else say that. And she said they're 100% they're preventable with one word. And I'm thinking, I know the word. I know the word. And that word is, uh, I thought it would be love, but she said hope. And this so resonates with me when you're saying, um, you're talking about suicide. You had no hope. And uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, so <clears throat> the purpose of me writing that book uh, was not to write a book. <laughs> and, and some people don't understand that. Well, why did you write the book? Well, it was actually a therapy, a therapy for myself because my pastor confronted me one night in the back of a church and the speaker didn't show up. And he said, hey, can you give your testimony? He didn't know anything about me. And it really brought a lot of feelings and emotions to the surface. And I said, there's children out there. I'm not telling my story, you know, that sort of thing. Well, that really stirred it up inside of me and the Lord worked on me. And, and, and I started writing my thoughts down on paper. And in that book, as I'm typing the words, tears are falling on the keyboard, not for me, for the victims, for the first, first time in 30 plus years, I mean, I went to prison, I served my time, but it, until I started writing out my thoughts, that pain of what I did to others came to surface and smell like that stink when you stir up a sump pump after it's been setting for six years. Mm. And, and it confronted what I really had done to these people and, and the hell they've been going through their entire life until now, because mental mentally abusing someone in that matter could, you know, they would take it to their grave. But as you see in the book, a lot of the people actually supported me through the process because they saw something in me 
talking about that guidance counselor that wouldn't leave me in the office kind of thing. But so it was a healing process. I did not intend to write a book, but, but the idea of writing the book was not to entertain anyone, not to educate anyone. The whole idea of the book was to reach the next shooter. You say through that love, through scripture, through the love of God, because the story is about him. That's why I'm talking to you now. I'm the result of what redemption and tr true grace mean. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And in my life, he has shown me um, the purpose of why Christ hung on that cross for me. You know, the true purpose of, of that I, I am going to fail. And children are going to fail. But if we can love them in the family to catch them before they think about um, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt me to hurt you. Do you see what I'm saying? It's that it's that basic in a child's mind is how can I hurt you the most by hurting myself and everybody will blame you. Do you see? So my act out in suicide was I want to hurt my the one who hurt me. I want to destroy his career. I want to destroy his life. I want to just, it was all about me and my feelings and what, how I wanted uh, uh, someone to feel the pain I was feeling. You see what I'm saying? The abuser, if you will. Um, and to be able to, at, at 18, um, to be able to cultivate that without discipline. In my situation, I, I did not have that I discipline. I think they need they need some skills and tools so they don't get to the point where they are focused on revenge, which is what you're talking about, focused on that anger, that anger uh, takes over and and uh, and impacts how they feel, impacts what they do, how they can manage that anger and turn it into something that is productive and positive rather than allowing it to destroy them. We can learn how to do that. And, um, and I think that, that, you know, also when you say discipline, you're also talking about parents being present with their kids, um, not, uh, you know, there's, so, I, I was a single parent. And so mm -hmm. I spent the majority of my time during the week at work and commuting. And uh, the majority of my kids' time was spent in school and in daycare. And, uh, and so parents, even parents that then come home, some of them are focused on making dinner and then getting kids to bed and then getting them up in the morning and all that stuff we have to do. We also have to be present with them and talk with them and look in their eyes and show them that we care, um, love them. Uh, and, and if, if we don't, then time just goes on and these kids are get even more and more disconnected. I think that's a really big piece as well. I practiced connection. Uh, I practiced being present with my kids, mm -hmm. um, which, uh, I, I say almost every day is the key to living your life with the fewest regrets is being present with the ones that you love, but you growing up, you didn't have parents that were present for you. 
you had this experience of abuse, you weren't getting help. So you were kind of left to your own devices. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a big difference between disciplining uh, and beatings and disciplining in love. Yes. You see what I'm saying? It's the heart of the, of the person who's doing the disciplining. It's going to hurt me more. It does you kind of mentality. That's what these kids need. Um, as they get older, you're like, well, he's too old to whip. All I can do is take away his phone, take away his TV, take away this. But if they don't get, if they don't get that structure of accountability when they're young, they're not going to have any accountability when they get older, you know? So it's, I think it's, it's real important to, that discipline starts in the home, but our hands have been tied. And, and you're saying tied discipline with love. You're saying discipline with love. With love. Because yes. that's where we are yes. here. And uh, and it's time for a new gardener. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we've seen the results of the gardener we've had for the last 30 years. That's um, right. Since 1962. It's time to get back to that gardener because those kids were disciplined. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. They were just so, uh, it was a whole different mentality of children, how they respected their parents and respected the livelihoods and and love their teachers and love their principals and love school. And now it's like this uh, facility, uh, like a, a holding place for these kids, an institution, if you will, throwing, like, like uh, they are just, they feel like they're just a, a number and not a person anymore. But I can tell you the real heroes, the real heroes are the teachers, the principals and the parents, okay? I think those who govern those entities are the problem, all right? And, and I'm talking all the way up to the president of the United States. We need to focus back and putting God back in our families, back in our schools, put him back in our daily lives to understand the structure of discipline that, so we have the accountability and can understand the value of other people around us because we don't see the value in other people because we hate ourselves. How am I going to love you if I hate myself? So my goal, and I know yours is too, is to go and find these kids. And I, I'm a, a concert promoter now. I do concerts and bring kids in from four different states. And I just facilitate the situation. I don't get up and speak or anything. The artists come in from Nashville, the all major artists on Christian radio now. And they connect with them. And it, seeing them give their hearts to Christ, it defines why I'm still alive. It defines, there's my redemption. It defines the purpose in which God had for me to meet with you today was to live not for TJ, but to live under the joy of the Lord and take that life experience. As the Lord says, those who keep their life shall lose it, but those who lose their life for my name's sake shall find it. I have found the life Christ has chosen for me beyond the pain, beyond the the hurt beyond uh, all of the the death involved in my life of wanting death, wanting to be dead, um, and He's given me a whole new, like a new creation in me, a, a whole new purpose of of existing, and that's what we need in our cultures today. True revival in our children. We've seen it across from Australia to all over the world, Netherlands, everywhere. It's happening. But if we can facilitate that and put that in our schools so these kids have a directive out, they have that tough love. And I'm talking about a coach, uh, a youth director, uh, a youth pastor, where they can connect with somebody outside of their circle of pain. 
you see they have to they have to know that someone cares and you know if you, yes. if you if you if we if we bring it back to the present moment where um it's i think it's illegal to um have god in public schools um you've got public schools that have lots of people from different religions and non-religions that are all there um, and one thing I think that we can all agree on is that love is uh, absolutely necessary and the ability to be absolutely. able to choose love in our lives, that's necessary. Um, and, uh, and so I am interested in, uh, in how so many school shooters wind up dead um, you know, Adam Lanza killed himself or like Nicholas Cruz, Nicholas Cruz uh, has just mm -hmm. admitted guilt in the courtroom. And now um, some people are calling for his execution. And uh, so you, however, went to prison, you served your time, you got out and you're now a father, you are a grandfather, you are a productive member of society. You have a job, you're earning a living. Um, you have the courage to go out and talk about your experience. You're not hiding, you're sharing it. You're using your pain to help others. Um, and so what's, what do you think is the difference between you and these other shooters? Jesus, <laughs> period. The difference is Jesus. And uh, I just want to uh, say this, and I know people won't understand what I'm about to say. But if I could have got to Mr. Lanza or Cruz the day before they did what they did, if I could have got to them, and, and obviously it would have been illegal to do so, but I would have gone up and hugged them and looked into their eyes so they could see death. They could see where, where you can come from death to life to put hope back in their lives. I've been blessed since my book came out. I have parents contacting me where their children want to commit suicide. And I've actually gone to homes and sat down with these kids and spent hours with them. And by the time I leave, there's a smile on their face and hope in their heart. And I said, I don't care if it's two in the morning, you call me, if you have a thought, if you have a voice that speaks to you, I don't care what it is. I'm, I will not judge you any way, shape or form. My goal is to see you get through this process to the bridge of hope and know that Christ is your only foundation in the process. You cannot do it any other way. Of course, they're on the meds, they see their doctors and all these other things. And I don't dis discourage that. But at the bottom of every psychological or mental breakdown as the world calls it, a mental illness there's a spiritual battle period you can ignore the spiritual battle part because you don't want to accept that it exists but until you accept and see that it does exist you're you're just you know you're really not achieving anything you're just identifying it under what scientists tell you what it is but we've, we've carried on through the other three. Now we need to focus on the fourth. And the fourth is, I think, the most important is the spiritual. That's the foundation of our true life from the time we're born to the time we die. 
We go to church. Some of us don't go to church at all, but we'll go to a funeral. And in the funeral, there's a pastor who gives, uh, you know, the message and you'll listen to them. You're either going to roll your eyes or you're going to accept the fact that you have to be the greatest choice you'll ever make in your life is the day you say yes to Jesus. And I'll never forget that day. In my book, I talk about what happened. And if, if people don't get to that point, they're never going to make a difference. They're, we're going to keep pushing the, the, the horizontal, never the vertical. The answer is not in the horizontal. You know, it's in what's in your heart, Scarlett. It's the love that you, uh, it's amazing. I mean, you're, you are, you're blessing me right now with how you feel about Adam Lanza. And the fact that if you could have reached him with love and nurturing and hope and guidance and, and all these things, he needed that tough love. He needed direction. He had none. And he was just, uh, he had access to something he shouldn't have access to because the person who owned it should have been accountable and had it locked up in a safe where it belonged. So, so it's just like leaving the keys to a car sitting on a table and a 12 year old takes it out and kills himself. Who We blame the car, the kid, or the owner of the keys. You see what I'm saying? Accountability, accountability, accountability. I know what I did. I did it. I'm not blaming it on my stepfather. I'm not blaming it on uh, the, the devil made me do it. But all these elements are present. All the red flags are there. It's time that we, we reach out to the kids with something more than a scientific or a mental um, capacity. We need to reach them with the love of Jesus. And until we put that, that back in our schools, we're going to see more and more people going down the path of pain. And we're all going to be scratching our heads. No, we don't want to talk about that, but let's talk about this, 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 this. You know, it's kind of like the elephant in the room. We don't want to talk about. But we, you love these kids. You don't even know these kids, and you love them. I love those kids because the love of God that's within me wants to reach and, and use my story to reach these kids. It's not about sensationalizing what Satan did. It's glorifying what God did that I want to do. And that's why I waited you know, 30, almost, almost 40 years. Um, my path, my journey was running from God my entire life, running from myself, uh, trying to identify who I was in this world. In the meantime, God is constantly working on my heart because I'm not a perfect person and bless me with two kids, one now in the special forces. He was in the Marines. Now he's in special Forces, And I'm just so proud of him. I'm proud of my grandkids. And just so thankful. I, all the things I don't deserve, I'm so thankful for. And I mean, really, we don't deserve anything. I did an I Am Second video. It was called Unworthy. And people keep telling me, why did they title it Unworthy? And I said, well, in, the, in, the, in there, I met with Beth Nemo, um, uh, Rachel Scott's mother from Columbine. Mm -hmm. and, and I said to her, I said, I feel so unworthy to sit here in front of you but I'm so thankful you came and, and, and met with me. And I told her I loved her and it, we, we actually hugged and it, and she witnessed to me on camera, off camera. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that people like you, 
are going to make a difference in our country. People like Beth is going to make a difference and already has made a difference in our country. And people see that light that you have put into the world, Scarlett. And I see it. And I'm, I'm emboldened by it. I, I'm like, how, how in the world can I be a part of helping her help others? You know, uh, same thing with Beth. How in the world can I help her to help others? So my, my goal is to be available to not worry about my, uh, what people think of me, because those days are done. I've lived my life, you know, selfishly lived my life and ran from God all this time. And, and uh, I now am, am just making a full-time effort to reach the lost without judging them, but reach them with love, kindness, direction, and discipline through my life to let them understand, I see you. I see you. I know what you're going through. Because so many people say that to people and they're like, you have no clue what I'm going. You don't know me. You don't know me. You can't, you don't know what I'm. Well, guess what? I've seen death. I accept it. I wanted it. And God put his fist down and saved me through that process because I should not be here, Scarlet. I should not be here. And because I am, I feel like that one person in hell screaming amongst all the school shooters. This is a dream of mine, by the way. And I'm, I'm in this huge area of hell. We're all just burning and burning and, and screaming and gnashing at the teeth. And God's looking down and he's weeping at all these kids. And I'm looking up and we're all screaming. And he said, he's going to choose one to go back and tell them, tell them what I've done for you. And he chose me. So here I am. And, you know, thank you for that. And it's beautiful. And we certainly, you know, I encourage people to have the courage <laughs> to, to open their hearts and their minds uh, to, to learning from you and others that have been through it, what we can do to make the world a safer, more peaceful and loving place. In your book, um, Once a Shooter, you beautifully are able to articulate your accountability. You take responsibility. You show tremendous remorse almost on every page. So those who are out there blaming um, and writing you off, uh, I, I think that you know we all make mistakes, not to that degree, but we but we all make mistakes. And there were mistakes that were made in your situation as well that were beyond you. And these are things that we need to, to fix in our society. We need to learn from the mistakes that we make and, and fix them. Um, we haven't been able to yet. And the environment that we're raising the kids in is actually worse. We're not doing a better job of modeling these uh, social and emotional skills, tools, and attitudes. Uh, all you have to do is, is read the news and you can see that bullying, um, bad behavior, uh, 
um, hatred, um, blame uh, that is rampant throughout our news stories. And you, you, however, have taken responsibility and you are using your pain. This is what I taught. This is what I started in the beginning by saying, this is why we're on earth, I believe, is to take what's happened to us, the good and bad. But a lot of times we're shaped and molded through the, the difficulty in our lives and use it to help other people. And I'm trying to do that. I know you're doing that. And I also know that forgiveness uh, is it is a big part of what you talk about, um, Jesse? As you know, because you read my book called "Nurturing Healing Love," left this chalkboard message in our kitchen before he died. He wrote three words: "Nurturing Healing Love," phonetically spelled because he was in first grade and just learning how to write. Those three words are in the definition of compassion across all cultures, and they also form our powerful formula for being able to thoughtfully respond with love in any situation, circumstance, or interaction. So in other words, the ability to take your personal power back, bring your locus of control back inside you so that you can make the choice in how you respond and you can choose love in that choice. And nurturing means loving kindness and gratitude. Healing literally means forgiveness and love is compassion and action. Of course, all of these take courage. And uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the forgiveness process that you went through? You know, I'll just say really quickly, when people heard that I wanted to put forgiveness in, in our programming, uh, all the adults said that's way too lofty a topic to teach to kids. They'll never understand it. And, and what's happened is that it's kids' favorite character value, regardless of age, because they call it a superpower. I'm using air quotes right now. And they say it feels so good to let it go. And so in other words, in other words, it was us big kids that didn't really understand forgiveness. Kids get it and they want to use it we have to learn. So can you kind of walk us through what that looked like for you? Well, <clears throat> the, the problem for me was forgiving myself. Mm -hmm. I could never forgive myself for what I did. Um, you know, many nightmares through my life of thinking about the, the victims. And um, I have to tell you in, in the book, this is actually in the book. Um, I was speaking at this one church and and uh, telling my testimony, well, after the first service, it was two services, this girl about 18 walks up. This just happened several years ago. And she said, I know your story. I've heard the whole thing. And I'm looking at her like, I mean, my, my, my book hadn't even really been out there too long. And she said, because my mom was in the school with you and she's standing right behind me. And I looked at her. First time I've, I ever had to face someone who is actually a hostage for 21 hours in, a, in the school. And she stepped over and her mother looked at me, didn't say a word. She looked at me. She walked up and she said, thank you. And I said, I, I, I was speechless. She said, I have been a youth pastor. I just felt like I wasn't making a difference. And the fact that you could come out and tell what you did, not only to me, but so many 4,200 students 
and nine hostages and one that was hiding in an office in the back. The fact that you could come out and, and tell this story gives me hope that there is purpose beyond what I'm just doing. And it just re it just helped her. And she, and she looked at me and cried and we embraced. And so the next service came up, she stayed and she didn't know I was gonna do this. And I called her up on the stage during the testimony. And I asked her right there in front of the entire congregation, will you forgive me for what I've done to you? Mm. She paused, tears rolling down her face. And she says to me, yes, I forgive you. It was one of those moments you just didn't plan. And uh, later on, the pastor told me this was service was more for you than anybody else in this room. But when she did that, <clears throat> it gave me the strength to forgive myself. So forgiveness is a big part of your healing process, to forgive yourself for what you have done to yourself and to others. And I know people are going to disagree with me, but Alanza and Cruz, to the point that they are at death's door, God still loves them. As much as he loves you and me, you know, but our human reaction is an eye for an eye. Our human reaction is death for what you've done to my son, my daughter, my, and that is a, such a normal response, you know, of hurt crying out, just justice, justice. But God loves those who are evil in our world. And, and there's evil people with ties on. There's evil people in our government. There's evil people in our school systems. But there are good people too, you know? And that balance of good and evil that's taking place right now, that battle that's taking place, we need to take what we have. And you have a lot, Scarlett, with the pain you've gone through. I can't. Okay, I can't imagine. And uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but like I told Beth, you turn your pain into passion. And that's why when you stand before God, God's going to say, well done, my faithful servant and show you the thousands upon thousands of people that you reached because of your pain. And right at the front is gonna be your little boy. So they say this too shall pass. Let me tell you something, you are a warrior for what you're doing. You are one of the strongest that I've ever met other than Beth. And I hope to meet more, embrace them, talk with them, share with them, give them, if they need closure, I would love to sit down with them and talk to them about what God can do with that evil person that took their son or their daughter. But that person chose not to go that path. They chose death, the coward's way out, as I did. So I don't, I don't deserve any more 
more, uh, I, I don't think I'm any less evil than Alanza. Because the intention of the heart, as a man thinketh, so is he. The intention of the heart is already, the murder is already done before you even pull the trigger, you know? And we have to cry out to God. The spiritual battle begins within ourselves. So just want to say thank you for meeting with me. Uh, it is a something I'll take to my grave. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and standing before God, thank you for bringing Scarlet to me, Lord. Um, Beth, um, it, 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 it is part of my healing process to meet people who have been affected by this cowardice act of what I've done and so many others have done. Um, and I understand the world has a justice system and has to fulfill it. I understand that. But I think we, we are above that. We can see beyond, beyond the, uh, the world judgment. We can see how can we reach that kid before he gets to that point, before he hurts, before they create another Scarlett Lewis and a Beth Nemo. How can we save that parent from going through that hell? You see what I'm saying? And finding those kids who are broken, you know? And, and it's, not just, I, it's not just identifying the kids that are broken, mm -hmm. which is really important. And schools play a huge part in doing that. It's also starting from the beginning and empowering these kids with the essential life skills that they need to face the difficulty that they're going to go through so they can choose a different path rather than anger, hatred, and revenge. They can choose love. They have the ability to take that pain and to use it to empower themselves to help others. We can give them, this is in my mind, the easiest thing to do, it's harder to ferret out the kids that are in pain and, and a potential have the potential to hurt themselves and others. Why don't we fix the problem before mm. it happens yeah. by empowering our kids, Amen. giving them the ability mm. to manage their emotions, giving them coping skills. We know nobody gets through this life without pain and suffering. No one does. We know that these kids are going to face difficulty, challenges, roadblocks, pain. We know it. And we have to equip them with what they need in order to be strengthened by it because it's a possibility. It's called post-traumatic growth. Uh, nobody talks about it uh, when I started, nobody had ever heard of it, even though even not nobody, there were decades of research on it. Uh, and it, it was a thing, but not many people were talking about it. Not many, I, I don't know anyone that was teaching it in our schools. This is the foundation of what the Choose Love movement is. It is teaching post-traumatic growth, teaching how to take the difficulty in your life and use it to so that it not only benefits you but it benefits others <laughs> and uh, through the ripple effect makes a safer more peaceful and loving world and i think we're gonna have to change the way that we think we're gonna have to go from blaming finger pointing fault finding and then dismissing uh, our our kids or young adults that are out there that are so hurt that they are hurting 
themselves and others. And we're going to have to give them the skills and tools to be able to manage that. I don't know any other way. And, uh, and, and, and you're shaking your head. You're nodding your head, excuse me. Uh, in well, agreement. I, I'm thinking if there, if there's any position or location or, or uh, ministry that you need help uh, or, or need me to be a part of, I would be so open to that, to be a part of that process. Um, so the invitation is open. Um, and I can tell you, I'm, I'm led by the Holy Spirit. I'm not, uh, I'm not of any religion. Only thing I have is a relationship with Christ. So, and I just love people who are hurting <laughs> and I love people who are not hurting, but my goal is to make a difference and stop children, not, not only save the victims, but save the shooter, you know, and show them that they do, there is a purpose beyond their pain, that they don't have to make this choice. You know, the person they kill us, like a teacher or something would, would be the one who would die for them mm -hmm. in the process. These mm -hmm. teachers are heroes. I agree. You know, in our schools. I totally agree. And I, I they, call them they, our they, modern day superheroes. <laughs> it's just they don't get enough credit. They don't get I enough agree. credit. And there's even police, police department and fire, just people that are pr protecting us as a society. Yes. There are good people that love their community and that want to make a difference in obviously they're fulfilling their jobs, but they want to see that child get to school safely and get home safely. And so um, I would highly recommend they start putting more security in our schools. I would, I would highly recommend that they would um, legislate and put protections in our schools uh, to, you know, even uh, metal detectors in our school. I mean, we put that kind of security in the hospital and the bank and all these other places, but we won't do it in our schools. You know what, TJ, so, um, they, the, they, they have focused on the attack end of the pathway to violence for so long. Sandy Hook had all the modern technology available at the time for school safety. And that's a very reactionary type of thing. And I'm all sure. for school safety, but that does not address the cause of why a former student or a student wants to come in and murder people. <laughs> you know, that to me, addressing the culture uh, of the school, uh, that mm -hmm. and, and providing these essential life skills to me is more important. We, we, uh, we continue to advance security in schools after every school shooting because we learn from mistakes that we make. And that's one way of doing it, but that's not. Uh, that's not going to prevent them, or we may prevent them to a certain degree, um, but uh, they still happen. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we have to do something else as well. And that's addressing the cause. And it's not the way that we're wired to think, but it's what we're going to have to do if we want to make schools safer. And that's exactly what the Choose Love movement does. And I just want to thank you so much. You've really been generous with your time and your heart. and your uh, sharing your story 
Um, on the front cover of your book, you say, uh, in Once a Shooter, Redemption of a High School Gunman, you will see that there is freedom in forgiveness. Redemption is available for everyone. God will never stop pursuing you. Faith can overcome fear and prayer makes a difference. And I just want to thank you for um, joining us today. And we will, there are going to be opportunities for us to work together. And I appreciate that. So we'll just officially partner right now, <laughs> moving forward. Um, I want to thank you so much. And I do want to continue this conversation as well. And uh, I do want to also say, um, as you saw through the podcast, I was also trying to steer the conversation towards um, the reality now, the reality now. Hey, I, I, I agree with you on every front, um, but the reality now is that you can't, prayer is against the law in schools. We can't mention God. So, you know, with me going in, being respectful of all religions and non-religions, if we could, uh, you know, since that's not in our public school system now, how can we bring uh, love into the school and teach these essential life skills? I, I firmly believe, um, and, and, and tell me if you think I'm right, TJ, that if you had been taught how to manage your emotions, if you had been taught post-traumatic growth, literally how to uh, take the difficulty that happened in your life to be able to face it, the courage to face it, and then shown how to manage those difficult emotions and perhaps uh, been given an outlet in a positive and productive way because emotions are, are energy in motion rather than having that turn inward into self-hatred and, and rage and revenge, if you had been shown that there's another alternative that you can use that anger to actually fuel and propel you into serving and doing good and, and, and a different outlet, um, do you agree with me that you would not have gone into the school that day as a shooter? Uh Absolutely. And there's there so many ministries like the Upward Sports Ministry that children get involved in. Um, I think we need to be proactive instead of reactive. So we're reacting to laws that are in place right now, not allowing this in our schools. So we need to go after the legislators, you know, and I, I believe a lot of them already know this, but, but obviously God can do the impossible. We can't. He can do it, though. And so I believe that if um, if we present ourselves to legislators to understand you've tried everything else. And like you said, the security, the guards, the metal detectors, stuff like that, it's, it's, that's, that's not curing the issue or the problem. It's the gardener. We've got to change the gardener. Yeah, you know, I love what, that. I love that. Well, thank I you I thoroughly so enjoyed much. your book, by the way. Ah. I, I loved your book. Loved it. Thank you. Um, told my wife, I said, honey, you've got to read that. I got the auto audio book too. So. I love that. Oh, let me show you show um, you what we're doing right now. Um, this was also uh, literally on my heart 
from the very beginning, this is something that I knew that I had to do. Uh, it's, it's something that comes through me, not from me. Um, but this is an RV, uh, a bus that we've taken, that we've wrapped in the Choose Love message. This is on the back of the bus is the cover of my new book called From Sandy Hook to the World, How the Choose Love uh, Formula Transforms Lives. And we're literally taking it on the road. Right now we're going throughout New Hampshire and then we are going uh, nationwide all the way to the West Coast to literally um, bring an experiential experience where kids can literally uh, practice these skills and tools and see them live in action so they can um, not only uh, experience the power of them and how they make them feel, but also relate them to things that are going on in their own life. And so um, it's just, we've had three stops now and it's just a tremendous success. And I'm so excited to take this on the road. And, uh, and I just wanted to share that with you. <laughs> this is awesome. But promise me, if you ever come through the uh, Shenandoah Valley region, that you'll stop by our church and give your testimony. Well, that we will do that, uh, that you will be one of our stops. That's great. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. We'd love to have you. Thank you. Love to have you. Well, thank you so much, TJ. Thank you for sharing your heart and your spirit with us today. We um, we're better for it and better for you being in this world. So thank you for that. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you again and staying connected. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so say there's somebody that's listening to this and it's the parent of a troubled child that is thinking about suicide or, or so angry mm -hmm. that they, I've had a lot of parents say to me, um, you know, I think my child could be the next shooter. Uh, actually, mm -hmm. they've said that to me. So if that's the case with someone that's listening, is there a way you offered to be available to speak with that child or the parent? Is there a way that they can get in touch with you that we could share? Um, yeah, you could go to wantsashooter.com. Okay. Uh, there's that, that's through the publisher. Okay. Uh, also you can go on Facebook, just look up TJ Stevens, uh, wants a shooter. And there's a Facebook page set up there for that. Okay. With contact information on there as well. Okay, great. And, um, yeah, that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. That okay, way. great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And we will definitely be in touch. All right. And God bless and take care. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, hey, oh. It's all part of us. We can all choose love. It'll lift you up if you let it in. Let the healing Thanks begin. for listening to the Choose Love Podcast. Our positive, empowering messaging is reaching millions of people all over the planet. Join the worldwide movement to choose love. Our programming is in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country, in every state, and over 112 countries and counting. We're giving individuals of all ages the essential life skills they need to flourish. You can be part of the solution, too. 
We have sponsorship opportunities available that help support us and enable you to share in helping create a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. Contact me on our website, chooselovemovement.org.